Hello, it's Joanna Lumley here. And before we start this podcast, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Actors Benevolent Fund, which is here to support actors and stage managers in times of illness, injury, old age, and financial hardship. This industry can be wonderful, but it can also be challenging. And the ABF is here to help by offering grants in times of need and by providing a sense of community. If you're in the position to help support others in our industry, or if you need support yourself, you can find details of how to contact the ABF, as well as ways of keeping up to date with developments via social media, in the show notes of this episode. Meanwhile, why not become a member, which you can do through the ABF website. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the ABF podcast, where each week we invite special guests to talk to us about challenges they faced in the theatre and TV industry, from dealing with performance anxiety to rejection to coping with ageing and questions around our identity. Sat alongside them each week, we have coaches and therapists to help unpack the subject and offer practical advice. My name is Hannah Whittingham and I will be your host. In today's episode, we're talking about coping with rejection, which is such a big part of the industry. And for this, we're joined by actor Omari Douglas and well-being coordinator and coach Lisa Marie Hall. Omari Douglas is probably best known for playing Roscoe Babatunde in It's a Sin, but his career has spanned the stage, musicals and the screen, and he's been nominated for multiple awards. He is currently just finished starring in A Little Life in the West End. Lisa Marie Hall worked as a top designer in UK film and TV for 25 years, alongside teaching at universities. After reaching burnout, she trained as a workplace sleep ambassador with the UK sleep charity and became a trained wellbeing coordinator and mental health first aider with a focus on diversity and inclusion. She now works as a personal development coach and mentor, through which she offers support to crew talent of all ages and experiences. So... Omari, I'm going to start with you. Cool. Um, just in terms of, I mean, there is so much rejection in this industry on both sides of the camera st- slash stage, actually. But I suppose the, the big one that comes to mind straight away is auditions and, and jobs. Uh, how How is your audition game mentally? Do you find them easy? How has your experience been? Mm. Such a good question. I think my relationship with auditions changes all the time. Okay. In in the sense that I think when I when I first left drama school, I was on a musical theatre degree at mm-hmm. said, and I do feel that there was this sense of just kind of wanting to work and just wanting to be in the industry and just sure. sort of wanting to get experience and just be on stage. And so I think at that time, I felt like I was auditioning all the time. And so uh, I I felt like that I was getting this balance of kind of like getting lots of rejection, but then just sort of like not really having that much time to dwell on it because you were just kind of jumping back into another audition. But I do remember like, I do remember certain auditions where I I had kind of put a lot on, put a lot on it, Mm. sort of like put a lot of expectation in there sort of really wanted the job and I guess of course like any project that you sort of feel particularly passionate about Mm. like it does hurt more when you get Mm. that rejection but I think what I have now started to or at least what I'm trying to like experiment with in my life um I mean my boyfriend talk about this quite a lot is like just trying to sort of like be present in sort of everything else that's going on like outside of that world so that you can actually go into that space when you then audition sort of feeling quite sort of not breezy but just sort of feeling quite calm because Mm. you feel like that you're not sort of like loading loads of expectation into it yeah and yeah I think it can just make that process kind of not easier but I think it makes you feel like that there is less to lose by like not having loaded like all of that expectation Mm. when going into an audition um but yeah it it I feel like it changes all the time and I think that you know only comes from sort of like having the sort of the 
well, I guess still relatively sort of like minor years of experience, but I sort of, I left drama school in 2015. Right. And so in that space of time, like I feel like that I've sort of developed my own, I don't know, sort of like coping mechanisms mm. or just like way of sort of like being able to deal with those kind of things. But there's certain, um, I remember in particular, like when I was um, auditioning for It to Sin, yeah. um, I, and that was the first, so, I mean, I'd done a few kind of like screen auditions at that mm-hmm. point, but not many. I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing. It was my first time I'd done a television or like maybe my second or third time going in to do a television audition where I was going in and meeting the team, like yeah. in a room. And I remember like doing the first audition and just putting the sides in the bin when I left uh, because I was just like, I have done what I think I have done and yeah. whatever they're going to think of it is what is is out of my control. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm just trying to learn now to just relinquish control yeah. and just go, I'm going to go in and do me. And yeah. if it's right for them, it's right. And if not, it's not. Yeah. You know, so. And that's actually, it's quite interesting. You mentioned that and what you've been doing before because you did so much theatre yeah. before doing television. <clears throat> and I'm interested about whether you find the difference in the way that different things are auditioned, the process. Like musical theatre is usually particularly brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you've got sort of straight theatre that's sort of somewhere in the middle. And then television is often a little bit less formal somehow and uh, oddly. Um, I'm wondering how you find those different the, the the different ways of auditioning and whether there are some of them that are easier to cope with not getting or it not necessarily going well than than others because of the process there is it feels like i mean gosh it's been so it feels like such a long time but like i remember when i first left drama school and it was like you're going into dance calls where mm. you're literally stood in the room and when they finish the dance call they will come with a sheet and say you're staying, you're staying, you're staying. So I actually feel quite you're ill going. when you're talking you're... about it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so <laughs> mad. And it's it's mad because it kind of like, I feel like that element of it almost like fits into the kind of like cliche of like what people yeah. think is the kind of like cutthroat mentality of the industry. Yeah. I think maybe it affects you more than you do actually realise, mm. like being in that environment. Because... I feel like I just accepted it as just part and parcel of like what the yeah. what the job is. But I think to go away and actually think about what that means or like how, what that does to you to mm. be stood in a room and just constantly be told like, you're staying, you're not staying in yeah. front of a group of people. Um, it's tough. It's There's really no tough. way of making it nice as well. No matter how much they preface it with, thank you all so much for coming. And obviously the selection is based on this, this and this, not yeah. on whether you're good or not, but they're still calling out your name or not. And then if you're not called, everyone, you have to leave and everyone sees you go. It's it's just... <laughs> but it's like, it's quite like for yourself, if you're that person that then has to leave the room, it's quite funny because it's like, you're really sweaty. Like <laughs> you've got loads of clothes. Like often like I'm still this person now. I always have like more bags than I actually need. And you take ages, like trying yeah. to like tidy your bags. And then you realise that everyone's waiting for you to leave. And you're just kind of like got clothes strewn over your shoulder. <laughs> you're dragging oh bags and you're like walking out of a room in really loud tap shoes <laughs> just like <laughs> so awkward <laughs> going back to what you were saying about sort of the comparison between that and then like tv and or yeah. plays or something you get a lot of those phrases that are kind of communicated to you like yeah. an agent will say you're in the mix yes and yes. so you just spend i think a lot of what I feel like we all spend our time doing as actors and creatives is just being in limbo. I remember nice. auditioning for ensemble tracks in like West End shows and I do, there's one West End show that I auditioned for and it was like, I think my agent said that I'd done 11 rounds for yeah. it. And very often you go in and you do exactly the same thing that yeah. you've done before to exactly the same panel of people. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. There's I, I think there's an element of, subservience I think that you have to be willing to kind of let yourself fall into which I don't which I don't agree with Mm. actually Mm. I think it's I think it's one of the things that could be that I I just think is is just not great about the industry yeah sort of making people because you know 
we're all trying constantly trying to make ends meet yeah and you know you're constantly juggling like other jobs to be able to get to an audition yeah it's like you're making me come back five times to do exactly the same thing no I agree and just before we bring Lisa in actually have you got to the point where you don't take it personally when you're not uh given the job or are there instances where that's easier to do um I think do you know what is weird because I think often when you're going in and meeting people, I think that's when it's easier to not take it personally or I think it's when it's easier to attach yourself to something more. Mm. Because in the last how many years, four or five years, like everything's become more, you put something on a tape. Yeah, yeah. I feel quite disconnected from it now because you do a tape and then it just goes out into an ether somewhere. Yeah. And you don't actually know how many people are even auditioning for that job. So it's hard to actually have any connect in that sense. I wonder, that's interesting though, about how much of the feeling of rejection is tied into seeing the people that that are in competition with you. Well, yeah, because I think very often we like compare ourselves to people. And I think that in itself, it ties itself into rejection because it's like the rejection is, is it because I'm not like that? Yeah. Lisa, I want to bring you in at this point because obviously you've worked with a lot of people in a coaching capacity around this and you've worked in the industry sort of on the other side quite a lot as well. Um, What is going on that makes rejection so hard to deal with in this context? So um, I actually think you've already, you've already kind of explained it quite well, your own Mm. coping mechanism um and i'm sort of going to give you a bit more of a sort of psychological framework as to what what is going on there so um i sort of subscribe to this concept of self-advocacy speaking which is a bit rooted in non-violent communication and so rejection we often think is a feeling okay i feel rejected yeah um rejection is not a feeling at all it's not a human emotion Mm. it is how we interpret other people's behaviors it's a what we'd class as a thought yeah so Rejection often kind of gets a bit messy for us as humans in in a modern society, particularly in the creative sector. So the idea is that when we kind of confuse our feelings uh, for thoughts, which rejection is, we then sort of start looking at how can we um, remedy this feeling of rejection that we may have inside, this thought that that we're having Mm. how does it manifest and often kind of goes to a a place of suffering um shame self-doubt um crippling confidence um and it and it starts to like kind of cause a chain reaction of other emotions and that's often how people kind of get into a cycle of of worrying worrying Mm. what people might think about them worrying about whether they will work again and i'm speaking for everyone here, you know, I've worked behind the scenes and getting jobs and yeah. um, it's just as, it's just as difficult. So I, I don't have a first-hand experience of, of being an actor with auditioning, but it is very similar. You are putting your creative self out there yeah, uh, to be judged. Yeah. Um, so the way I sort of coach and work it, we sort of go in four, four stages. The first stage is to kind of really observe what's going on. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're all pretty terrible at doing that myself Mm. included we often attach a lot of judgment and criticism um and thoughts behind what we think is going on so people oh they don't they don't want to hire me they're not going to cast me i'm not i'm not right for them i'm not good enough and so we start thinking that that's what's going on yeah um as opposed to observing yeah you were not chosen today that was that is a a straight observation Mm. so firstly we kind of need to sort of pick apart what is honestly going on in front of you, as you were saying, what is honestly going in front, mm. as opposed to all the thoughts and judgments and criticisms towards yourself and others you may be attaching to it. Yeah. Then you move into the second phase, which is identifying your feelings. Now, again, this is where we tend to go horribly wrong. We mm-hmm. jump to thoughts quite quickly. So yeah. rejection, for example, is a thought. So yeah. I didn't get cast, so I, ha- I now feel rejected. Yeah. And all of these are just sort of judgments that lead to other thoughts. And they're yeah. not actually truthful, but it can cause a spiral for many people that you'll start building your behaviours and your responses based on that assumption that you've just made. Yeah. And so my job is to help people, make, teach them how to observe more and then to understand their feelings. So if you were thinking that you're rejected, actually what is 
hidden underneath that is perhaps feelings of sadness, um, loneliness, isolation, could be anger, um, it could be disappointment. But these are all genuine human emotions that will probably manifest in like a in a physiological way in your body. You know, your heart rate might change, you might get sweaty, um, you might feel a bit sick in your stomach, you might, you know, you for some people hard to swallow, want to shut down using your mouth, you know, not want to talk. So those feelings are important to identify rather than attaching itself to the word rejection. And then you move on to the important bit, which is your needs. And that's, I suppose, the crux of my input in today's session. Mm. Um, if you are, if you have experienced a thought of rejection, one has to ask what is the need not being met. Now, mm. all your emotions and feelings as a human being are little signals to say a need of yours is not being met or it is being met. So yeah. if you feel happy, it's probably because a, a deep need of yours is being met. Mm. And what needs are, they're very universal uh, for all humans. And the slight problem with needs is that we do the same thing we did with the other two stages. We jump to strategy rather yeah. than a need. So I need to get that job in order to feel okay. For example, I need to be cast in that part. I need to nail this audition. They're yeah. not actual human needs at all. They're just yeah. a strategy. And so um, a strategy is just an action. It doesn't actually satisfy some something deep inside of you. And so I work with people to kind of identify needs. So if we go through not getting a part and mm. feeling an overwhelming sense of rejection, that may be needs signaling you may not feel that you have autonomy in your career you mm. as you were talking about connection you may feel that you want to be part and accepted by yeah. a group or a community of people you may feel like you are not getting enough progress in your life and and, mm. and progress is a really integral human need and so is stability security and safety these are fundamental yeah. human needs that i think most of us in a modern society and so these needs could actually be trying to tell us something yeah. And so a lot of people, and myself included, used to feel rejected by not getting jobs and and and, and an emotional sort of self-doubt and lacking of confidence because of that. But I had attached my need for financial security to yeah. getting a job or my need for validation and acceptance. So I had mixed the two up. And in doing that, that sort of strategy, if I get a job, then I'll feel financially secure. Yeah. You, you're going to go so far with that until it sort of falls apart. And the fourth stage of the self-advocacy speaking is how to request your needs. That's that's a that's a bigger conversation, but it's it's learning that rejection is normally if you're feeling it in 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 a in an honest way, is a sign that one of your needs is not being met. So either your career is not satisfying you in some way, i.e. you're not connecting, you're not progressing, you don't have autonomy, or actually this is more to do like, I don't feel like I belong. And so to start looking as you quite rightly did about being present in the rest of parts of your life, mm. that's about learning to satisfy those base needs we all have, but not putting it all into the, the job. Thing. And yeah. that might be to do with your your family, your chosen family, your support network. That might be to do with other things you have in your life. That might mm. to do with your health and your body um, and other aspects where you need to look at those needs being met. That is sort of how we start picking apart the the, the overall concept of rejection. So that's yeah. sort of from a from a base sort of psychological yeah. point of view yeah. um, that underpins, as you were saying, your 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 desire to sort of be present and then care less in a way when you go into that space. Yeah. And that's yeah. basically the psychology that's kind of going on underneath that. I feel like it changes all the yeah, time. Yeah, and I think all our human needs continuously change yeah. and they change as we were kids into adults and, and going through navigating adult life and into getting older as well. And it's constant practice you know we call this a sort of a, a, a it's always work in progress it is a life's work where the aim really is just to become so aware of you even cycling through those needs like if you can get that that far you're you're, you're onto a winner it's not about just satisfying your needs all the time and that they're therefore they're satisfied and be done it's very much becoming aware that as you go through the the peaks and the troughs of 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 life that you will need to keep adjusting accordingly and and balance your sort of response and go, mm. is this a thought or is this a feeling? Is yeah. this a need or is this a strategy? And learning to pick apart the two and just that level of awareness. And then the real flip side of self-advocacy speaking is if you can be aware of that in yourself, 
then you start to try and translate that to everyone else around you, that everyone else is going going through that. Mm. So when people behave in a certain way towards you, try and try and think it the other way. What's what's their need not being met for them to say that to you? Yeah. yeah. And that and that constant dialogue. And that that's harder to do, but once you've made it good practice for yourself, it's a bit easier. Yeah. I mean it makes a lot of sense to me actually. I I've been seeing a therapist for years and the sort of therapy he tends to do is based around parts therapy. The idea with that is that a part of you will hijack you. And that part obviously really is a part that's responding to a need not being met. So it's sort of the same thing. And the idea is that you become more and more aware that you've been hijacked by, you know, that child who... Yes, it's always, the, it's always your inner child. child. It's always your inner child. child. Yeah. child or the teenager. Hijack yeah, that's is such a good team. word. Yeah. I know, like, isn't it? It's, it's just great. Like, it makes sense it's, in that yeah. context yeah. so much. But, yeah. but also... It, and this sort of maybe works against the word hijack slightly, but also to to recognise that all of those parts are defence mechanisms in, and actually they're not bad. But there are no bad parts. They're all there for a reason. And it's all about awareness. And in the system that you're talking about, it's OK, which need is it that is causing this reaction yeah. in me? And I like and, I like the need part because actually it's it's very concrete and mm. tangible. I think I, a lot of I have a lot of neurodivergent clients, yeah, and we find this method works really well because actually it's not too abstract. Yeah, talking about feelings can be abstract, and I also need to bring and highlight the fact that there is such a thing called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, mm. RSD, mm. which is uh, anyone can suffer from, um, and at various points in their life, it has a higher prevalence with neurodivergence, yeah, than than it does with neurotypical. Um, but it's uh, it is a genuine neurological way that your brain is operating, where rejection becomes incredibly painful and difficult to deal with, mm. and you cannot regulate your emotions when dealing with rejection. Um, and so that is a, that is a genuine thing out there. And I think if anybody um, has a neurodivergence or knows or is close to people, please read about it. It is a genuine thing, and people perhaps should be a little bit more aware that yeah. when you are dealing with somebody that people will feel rejection deeply neurologically mm. uh, it's not something that they can just think away or think differently that is going to be part of how they are and so they have how to care and manage for that and whether you're yeah. a support network or you're an agent or a casting director mm. or you know you're a producer in the room to just like be aware of how you may frame stuff, as you were saying. Yeah. Those 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 phrases yeah. issued to you, or maybe a chance to just have a think about how some people in that room might take that. Yeah, and that's not simply don't take it personally. It there'll be there'll be a, a sector of the neurodivergent creative community where that will be very hard to do. Yeah. Gosh, I can imagine how I guess in any formative like period in your life, like how all that stuff must store. I feel like still right now, I'm trying to unlearn all of the all of the things that you get told when you're in training mm. that does build up like i remember that stuff the stuff that does make you feel um not good enough like yeah. you know like in those environments the things that you get picked apart for like when yeah. you're in that space and very often as you said there can be quite often the things that are going to allow you to flourish like to have your sensitivity picked apart is insane mm. because it's like surely your sensitivity is what is going to make you like a, a a good and present and aware like actor dancer artist whatever mm. and yeah I, I i actually i had a um i had a pastoral care officer at my secondary school who was an ex-police officer um, and he used to tell me all the time to stop being sent, like to stop stop being so sensitive. Mm. And that, like, it's it's yeah, it's in it's insane to me now. I've you know, it's it's something that I've you know spoken to my therapist a lot. Like we 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 come back to that quite a lot. And then no, when it's... you and then when you meet rejection, then it's very hard for that for you to not to go to go. Well, that bit of my identity must be the reason why. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's and yeah. it and I think that's a very human, uh, logical way to think. If your body has been conditioned and and programmed that, and it it does take therapy, and I think coaching and it is trying to realize 
those messages that seemed so innocuous i suppose at certain point have just kind of made some neural pathways in your brain that Mm. as you get older and sometimes it doesn't present until you actually get more experienced in your career sometimes a little bit of age helps you pinpoint that something's not quite right yeah i think it's it's really interesting charles Torreira is on one of these other podcasts as well and he was saying it was the the episode was on identity and he was saying that he really feels very strongly that an actor's superpower is their sensitivity because that's what makes you able to empathize with other people other characters really people watch understand how things work um and that that's something you need to treasure and nurture actually so with that in mind it's it's sort of extraordinary that then it ends up becoming painted as a negative yeah. and in drama school particularly i think there's a really difficult balance between criticism of you technically as an actor and elements of you that are you that are you as a person oh that 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 happened a lot like as mm. in that what you said about sort of that line crossing over into that line of stuff that comes into personal identity territory yeah there's yeah. been a lot of talk recently you know about you know uh sort of the culture of teaching in drama schools yeah um you know my training was part of a very sort of like focused like investigation oh really uh yeah quite recently um and yeah there is this line that is so and and a part of me understands like why it is maybe easy to cross that line because Mm. I guess as an artist you're using yourself to do all of this stuff and so there is the technical stuff but also there is the stuff that is obviously going to cross the line into you know the things that are you Mm. and you know very often I would there was a lot one of the things that I think was that I, that I think about a lot is the kind of the vocabulary and the approach or just the attitude towards kind of um I think queerness like queer identity like in mm. those spaces um because you know very often by teachers you were told basically you were kind of chastised for basically not being masculine enough right. and that again I'm trying to unlearn the sort of the the how that blocks you mm. because when I left school I didn't f- understand how I was or at least I didn't know for a long time that I wasn't able to sort of self-express mm. like in the way that I should have been yeah. because you're just led to believe that um that you need to adhere to whatever this kind of faux idea of sort of masculinity is to be a sort of believable person Mm -hmm. in on Mm -hmm. on stage we (laughs) i remember we used to get told um in a in a quite a jovial way but even still no pecs no jobs wow yeah okay yeah (laughs) jeez yeah um which i guess in a certain bracket of the industry is true but it's also not um it's not concurrent with like the broader sense no. of just like what being an actor is. It's taken me a long time to learn that like about authenticity. And I moved to London when I was 18 and I, you know, I felt like I'd only even sort of very messily come out to my friends at that point right. at home. And so I moved to London and I was still figuring out who I was. Mm. You're going into this space where there's not even that many people who look like you. There's not yeah. really many people who you can connect with. There were, and I think this is where like intersectionality starts to I come was into say, play. There's a lot of stuff intersecting there for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like there were, you know, there were other queer people there. There weren't many black queer people. I didn't really mm. meet any other kind of like many other queer people of color until I actually went into the industry, started doing more jobs with people, starting to be able to validate my own experience. Yeah. And I do think that a lot of that does affect training because the way that you're viewed through the lens of the educators, the people who are giving you that training, they put that perspective onto you and how they view that you will be perceived in the industry. industry, And the, the, the work that they think you will do 
you know, oh, you're this person, so therefore you're going to do this. Yeah. And so there has been this sense kind of, for, for, for me especially, kind of going like a feeling really sort of um, happy that I've sort of been able to kind of like exceed some of those expectations yeah. that I feel like that people had put on me. Yeah. But it is really like deeply affecting yeah. those things that get said to you in those early days. And I'm interested in how that then sort of carries through. So to moving on beyond auditions to just when you're doing jobs, it can feel whether it's in a rehearsal room where, you know, you're asked to be brave and make bold choices and or whether it's on set where you've got your three takes and that's basically it. That can feel like a little mini, re loads of mini rejections through the day. If you do a brave choice, everyone goes, okay. Or there's just, you know, silence after yeah. it happens. Um, how have you dealt with that as you've gone through? Yeah, there's been loads of, I feel like I've had a lot of um, scenarios where it's really hard not for all of that kind of background stuff stuff that you know stuff that you've built up stuff that you've stored to not come into play mm. I think very often what the insecure what insecurities can do to you is very often it's like how am I coming across in this moment <laughs> very often like when a drama school when they're kind of like pointing at you and sort of picking things apart it's like well now it's actually much harder for me yeah. to actually take that lens off of myself in order to be present with this work as far as just trying to be braver goes I think it's been addressing that stuff yeah and I think addressing that stuff with coach with 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 with, with an acting coach has been so amazing because I think you just sort of think oh you leave school and you're just sort of out there on your own and you just yeah. deal with the skill set that you you know that you now have but actually you have to keep developing it and I guess, as I've said, I think with all this stuff that gets stored up from drama school, you don't realise all the time that it is effect that, that it yeah. is affecting the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess this question to both of you, I'm going to start with you, Lisa. Um, do you think, and you've sort of touched on it already, there are things that could change in the way the rehearsal room environment is set up or as you've mentioned before with auditions sort of the way that the the language that is coming back or whether it's on set as well what would make it feel less rejecting do you think oh it's it's a tricky one because i think it's like trying to turn an oil tanker sometimes yeah sometimes. yeah um and sadly we're not a speedboat but um i think it's too far one one is a level of awareness that we can all have um and that's a self-advocacy in order to create that as a grassroots, that's a community effort in that. That shouldn't just be the onus on every individual and uh, being free, all, all being freelance. That makes it very hard to find that cohesion. I do still think there's a stigma yeah. um, that you were all supposed to just, you know, You're muscle, muscle on. To be able it's to, all you just all just be. I've been I've been told on the on the biggest jobs that I've done, you know, you just got to tough it out and be tough and, you know, soldier on and don't take it personally and don't be sensitive. Mm. I think we need to maybe break that stigma. Yeah. And I think that's a collective conversation, whether it's in companies or in teams, yeah. or in the scenes or in front of the camera. Um, but I also think there's there needs to be better safeguarding. And I mm. there's something about um having a voice. And I've I've watched this through my wife who works with lots of actors doing self-tapes and, and various mm. bits just the lack of autonomy that you you have in some ways to be able to choose the material that goes forth but as you say it's so disconnected and for for, for me as an outsider looking in on your audition process and the casting processes it seems to be so impersonal and fast and furious yeah i don't know whether being in the room more and having more open conversations um would help but i also can just see that there's an awful lot of people making decisions about who they want to cast they have no idea what they want until it walks through the door. Yeah. And yeah. that is the same as being a designer in, in film and TV. You have directors and producers that don't know what they want. Yeah. And you are constantly trying to give everything, second guessing and trying to read people's minds. I do think it's our our industry has become a a space where people are terrified to make a decision, so they don't. Yeah. And so we're all kind of left trying to offer continuously. I think that opens up a potential 
for lots of rejection. I've worked with many directors that just hate making decisions. I'm like, yeah. that is your job. Yeah. <laughs> but but we all then feel like we're not quite getting it right. And yeah. I think so I think there's gotta be something perhaps about supporting, um, training the key decision makers so that briefs are really clear, casting mm. briefs are really clear. And maybe that can then make a better communication and connection with who is being auditioned. So there can be better dialogue yeah. rather than it's a sort of factory, like getting, get out yeah. we'll, we'll find it when we see it. Yeah. And I want, I want to sort of finish up talking a little bit about reviews, dear God, uh, and the sort of the social media review as well. But just yeah. before we do, I'm curious, Mark, have you had an experience, whether it's in a show or whether it's on a set where it has felt particularly comfortable and you have felt sort of particularly safe. And can you put your finger on anything that was different about that environment that made it feel that much more comfortable? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, even just recently, uh, I just finished A Little Life mm. and we were supported by um, a mental health organisation called Applause for Thought, which is oh. run by one of my really close friends, Raffaella Covino. Right. Um, she set that company up in, oh gosh, I don't want to get this wrong. It's maybe 2008 to 2019, mm. maybe. And uh, they were approached by Wessex Grove, our producers, mm. to come on board and create a bespoke programme wow. for like company-wide, like mm. across the company, which meant that they were setting up programmes for the front of house teams. We worked in three different theatres, like whilst wow. we're over the course of this production, um, they were supporting stage management, the creative team, um, there was an audience programme as well. And obviously they were supporting the actors. Um, we worked with a psychotherapist, Victoria Abbott, who works for Applause for Thought. Um, and she's so fantastic. She supported us all the way through the process. It's mm -hmm. like a post-show programme as well for us. Um, and I think that in itself has been um, just invaluable. Yeah. Like invaluable. I mean you know, subject matter aside, you know, you know, that that show is particularly heavy and sort mm. of covers so much, um, you know, huge subject matter. Mm. I think as actors, every time we step into a new space, mm. we are so vulnerable. Mm. And I also think, I don't know whether it's just the, the sort of my confidence in myself in allowing me to do this, but I think knowing that that was in place, I feel like I was having more vulnerable conversations with my company than I maybe possibly would have had like in other companies yeah. just trying to be more honesty about my kind of just the the sort of um just the vulnerability that is expected of you in these processes yeah. you know working with new directors and just sort of the the, the, the openness that you have to have mm. for that, which is so, you know, it's it's so scary every time you just sort of step into this new territory. And so, yeah, uh, as well as there being this kind of like structural support, which mm. was so um, evident and like well maintained for all of us throughout that process, I felt more kind of inclined to sort of just try and be more vulnerable with the mm. people around me and just be more honest and, because especially when you're doing a show for such a long time, you know, it's really difficult, you know, mentally and physically and emotionally. And so I'm glad that we, I, I, I felt kind of like compelled to have more of those conversations mm. with people because more often than not, people share those feelings with you. And I yeah. think it's so easy to feel that you are lonely in those mm. feelings that you have when you're going through a going through a big process when yeah. you're just sort of like having to put your creative self on the line for people um and it, yeah I, I i just think more more of that and i think you know i mean applause for thought are a brilliant organization they've been working with numerous productions and i've seen i you know i i feel like i go and watch stuff now and more often than not i'll like look in the program and it will say that there's a drama therapist working mm. on the working on the show and i feel like it's more it's more common but of course that becomes like a um I guess it becomes a like a fiscal and a structural thing it's like do all of our organizations like have the money to be able to yeah. sort of support that yeah and another thing that I will say particularly about that production is um with with a little life is that I do think you know Wessex Grove I they're they're, they're very just I think they're very transparent in the mm. way that they work as producers I think 
very often the line between the producers and the actors can it can feel quite distant mm. they're very present like in those processes I think a lot of the um the, the the main producers were on that on during that process and so it makes such a difference yeah to to sort of how you feel in that process yeah. when the producers are present and that you have a direct line of communication mm. with them have a voice like Lisa yeah. was saying earlier just yeah. I think that's really interesting transparency presence and support Mm. that's it that's what and and you're right there's you know I think probably the reason that you then perhaps felt more able to be more open or more vulnerable with the other actors is that you had a support process already in place which meant that it was easier for you all to do that with Mm. one another um and yeah it's it's about it's about working out how even really small local theatres could be able to do the same thing. Yeah. You don't have all of that funding and just build it in. I, I was just thinking about about what Lisa was saying as well, like that thing of going walking into an audition room as well. I don't think that we're ever really, and it is hard to, I think it's ever a hard thing to kind of quantify or like teach, but very often like you walk into an audition room feeling like the less powerful person, Yeah, I think. Mm. Yeah, there's a yeah, panel yeah. of people like sitting in front of you and I think it's so hard to break that dynamic down and to allow yourself I think it takes a sort of particular mindset to be able to walk into that room and feel like that there is an equilibrium mm. there it goes back to this idea of why that on a pure psychological level why are we giving why are we choosing to see the people in the room the panel Mm. as the people that are going to meet your need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so not necessarily because they're powerful. That doesn't meet a need, but you want something from them. And the problem is we forget what they could give to you. Mm. Uh, in terms of, you know, it, it's a two it's a two-way street, street but we often yeah. and as a designer also pitching for jobs, same th- same thing, I'd go in and pitch a job. Um but also I'd run the job always being subservient to Mm. showrunners and execs. And that is what leads you wide open for bullying and harassment um, and and poor behaviour because you you just will take it. So I I took two two years leaving the industry and unpicking all of that to Mm. go, but why did I not give them the power? Why did I think that they were going to meet my need? I, I, I had totally got lost in that cycle of, I will only be feeling stable and secure as a person if I have money coming in. Mm. So getting a job and putting up with behavior will satisfy that fundamental I have need I have for being safe. But what happened after you know 20 odd years doing this, I didn't realize that the work environment I was in and the people, sadly, in some of the jobs that I were doing, the very unsafe space that I was in, mm. psychologically very unsafe working environments with some really awful people mm. were actually doing the very opposite of undermining my sense of safety but in my head I conditioned myself going but I'll be safe as long as I keep doing getting a job yeah. and I must do really well and I must be subservient and I must say yes 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 and make it amazing yeah. and I must be an excellent designer and must do that until till the bubble bursts really mm. until you burn out and go that was a kind of entirely misplaced need so I had sort of put all this need on these powerful people that could meet my need, but actually they were the very people making it unsafe. Mm. And it took me a, a long process to understand that. And I would hope in all the work that I do, I can help people maybe be aware of that a little bit sooner in their careers, mm. that these people, when you go into that room, yeah, why do you think they have the power? Is it because yeah. this job is going to deliver a fundamental need you think you have? Mm. Are you going to feel like if I get this job, rent's going to be paid? Yeah. So therefore, those people in the room are, are kind of the gatekeepers to my rent being paid. Yeah. So therefore, I give them that that power. Mm. Um, and to to kind of question and challenge how much power those people really or how much power this job potential you know role has. Mm in satisfying some other big things in your need to make you feel safe and and secure and it's 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 unpicking that yeah. as opposed to just um being confident walking into the room i i, I think that's yeah. just a mask for actually yeah. how else you could relate to that and mine mine was a slow burn over 20 20 years yeah. and i totally took the eye off the ball as to how bad people were being mm. um 
And if you are neurodiverse as well and susceptible to sort of being quite naive in situations, yeah. people will totally take advantage of, yeah. of that um, and always then know how to keep you in your slightly submissive place mm. and remind you who's who's in charge. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we'd start listening to that messaging of, you know, don't be so sensitive or be tough. You know, mm. for me, a gendered conversation was, you know, yeah. you got to be, you got to, you got to, you know, Man up. Man up. That was said <laughs> that was said to me on a really big yeah, American yeah, yeah. TV show. Really? Um, um oh my God. which I won't say who it was. But uh I, I was literally I was working eight, eight, 18 hours a day and they were Gosh. that is not enough. And if you're not tough enough and man enough to do this, then we'll get someone else who will. Yeah. Um and that's a head of department on on a major, 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 major mm. US UK TV show. Oh my um but that's still the same messaging. Yeah. And I yeah, still yeah. felt that person had all the power mm. to say that. Mm. Um, and I and it's taken me two years to unpick that and question um why I continue to f why I continue to feed into that, why I yeah. well, actually why I stayed four months too long on that on that gig already, yeah. um yeah. and and why I didn't leave sooner. Um because I just felt like they had all the power. Yeah, so. and I think that's a re that's really useful as well for the fact that you know the Actors Benevolent Fund includes stage managers as well. And although they're not auditioning, they're in the si a similar situation yeah. to the one you would have been in, and in that same power dynamic as well. And it's just so important to re to remember all of that and and the way that people are speaking to you and how much power you can give them inadvertently to do it. Um, which brings me to the final question to you both about reviews. <laughs> How good are you at dealing with reviews and your face? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's 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 we'll call it work in progress. Okay. <laughs> good. Good. No, I I um I'm I guess I try and have more like uh more of a healthy one well, I wish I had a healthier relationship with it in the sense that like what you were saying about kind of social media and stuff. Mm. It's like you can't there's there's a world where I mean obviously you can turn those apps off yes. and stuff, but it's like you go on there and it's just there in front of you. Yeah. Particularly if you're in a show that is particularly popular. Yeah. Or very present or on everyone's radar, like it is just there. And mm. also you find that people just take it upon themselves to, and obviously this is what social media is, but people will just like comment like say for example on instagram mm. they'll just comment on your posts and stuff maybe yeah. stuff that's unrelated right. and they'll say yes i saw the show da, 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 da. but again like what you were talking about like with needs and like it's like when i have found myself sort of like looking at a review or something it's like i wish i could ask myself more like what am i trying to get from this yeah and i guess a lot of it is just validation about your own creative stuff yeah 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 which is which is mad and like yeah I mean they're they're everywhere and I mean very often like you do shows and you'll the the, the marketing will change like once reviews comes out sure. and, and you sort of then have poster boards outside the theatre yeah that have quotes in them yeah and so it's just there for you to see mm. and in a way there's a there's a kind of an element of like not actually being able to um get away from it mm. when I was cast in constellations mm. a couple of years ago um I and obviously because it was the first time that they sort of uh kind of queered that particular story um it like got picked up in a lot of gay sure. media and stuff and I remember there was like maybe it was like attitude or gay times or something I remember being tagged in something on Instagram and it was as they'd sort of done the press sort of announcing the multiple cast for the show and I remember just looking at it and one of the first things that I saw was someone saying, you know, and obviously Russell Tovey has like a huge fan base and someone, mm. someone basically commented being like, oh, I wish they'd paired him up with someone who was better looking. <gasps> and I was just like, no. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> I was like, oh, good start. And so, yeah, I mean, as the solution is for a lot of people, I have so many friends who choose not to have social media mm. and like, you know, that, that is a solution. Yeah, you know, that, that and it is quite a simple solution to be fair, but then at the same time it kind of becomes difficult because, as we've all learned over the f past few years, it's suddenly become this kind of like tool for yeah, like work promotion hard. and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's again just a weird spiral. 
I mean, it's just to close off, do you have any thoughts around just dealing with reviews and, you know, how much you care about what total strangers think about? <laughs> well, is it obviously, I've never had, to, I've, I mean, as a designer, obviously, I think I've had stuff, you know, in, in reviews, but I've, it's never, it's never, it's never been part of something I've had to think about and worry mm. about. It's never a reflection on whether I would get another job or not. Sure. That's, that's not how it's worked. But in now stepping back and doing well-being and mental health and supporting yeah coaching and, and looking at people yes of course you you mentioned it, it's that need for validation okay mm. that's that's a that's a that's another conversation to have but I think I'm I'm also an artist I, I'm a practicing artist and, and I always have been I think and I have this constant struggle with what people will think of my work and, sure. I, and it's not the same as as being an actor but it is still that manifestation of I'm putting something out there mm. and it's and it is really crippling the self-doubt yeah and what I learned I think from being a designer for so many years um and I'm, I'm actually weirdly grateful I didn't train to be an artist and mm. instead followed being a designer what it teaches you that it's all process so I have learned to sit in the process I really genuinely actually don't care what the end result is. Mm. And I think there's some really smart artists and designers and creatives that the end product will be what it is. Yeah. My question is, did you enjoy and did you feel that there was integrity in the process and the method in which you got there? Yeah. And as a designer, it is all method and process. Mm. Um Rather than the end result, as a designer, when you're building sets and you're creating, you know, film locations or building sets on stage or on, on screen, mine's just one bit of the work. Then it will be handed on, then it'll be lit and then it'll be performed yeah. and then it'll be edited and graded and all sorts of stuff. It's never mine. Yeah. So in a way, I had to then learn to be a designer to be creatively satisfied with the with the process. The process yeah. Now, I know that can't yeah. necessarily be true for the actor's process. I think it can. But I, think, I, but I, I totally think, think, but I think, yeah. I think it's to learn to focus on... Um, and I used to get hired for jobs. I, I didn't have a portfolio for the last 10 years. Mm. They want to know how do you work? So I learned mm. to get really good at pitching how I work, my process and my method. It's like, this is how I work. You're either going to like it or you're not. Mm. So we're either going to work or we're not. Yeah. And and I learned to focus so much more on your process and your method. Do you enjoy that? Can mm. you f get some satisfaction from that? And to relinquish the control in the end result. So if you have made something it's a it's a press night or I've made a sculpture or I've made a painting or whatever it is, mm. is the review of that final object as important or, or more important than your whole process and your in your your sort of period of of your yeah. method putting it together and and learning to refocus yourself. Mm. You're absolutely right. I think you should shut the door on on a <laughs> weaponized world of social media and, and reviews because I'm not sure how helpful that is in progressing your method and your process no. for the next yeah. job. Yeah. yeah because yeah, it's yeah. just it's done. It's it's yeah. you finished it. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that's not the thing that's going to make you want to make more work, whether you want yeah. to perform or you want to create. Yeah. So focus more on the process and the method that's in order great. to nourish you. Mm. And that end result will just be what it'll, it'll be. be. What it is. <laughs> yeah. And in some way you can't really help it. And yeah. honestly, if it was perfect, we'd all just stop what we were doing and do something, yeah. something else. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole point is it's not quite there. That's why we are driven to go, let's do it again. Let's see if I can do yeah. this better or explore that more or oh, just test myself a little bit more in this area. Mm. I think that's what drives us as creatives. So perhaps we yeah. should focus on the fact, the need to keep that momentum rather than getting the validation at you know, like a full stop the at the end of each project. Thing. Yeah. That's my that's, that's that. a great way that. to end. I no, love it. Yeah. I think that's great. Focus on the process. And I think it's a hundred percent applicable to actors. And thank you so much, both Mari and Lisa. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah, you too. You too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the ABF podcast. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, you can find helpful links in the show notes. If you would like to become a member of the ABF, support us or require support, you can find everything you need on our website, details of which are also in the show notes. Until next time, goodbye.